Well, in honor of Mother's Day today, we have a very, very special treat. Katie Harding works with uh, North Star Church Network. It's a, a network of churches that uh, Gateway is involved with. And Katie works with women's ministries with North Star Church Network. And Katie will be communicating for us today. She'll be starting this conversation. And kicking us off today, reading our scripture, is Vanessa Harry. So Vanessa is going to be reading from Thessalonians. So welcome, Katie and Vanessa. Vanessa, take it away. Good morning. Today I'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved of by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to all be here today, to gather together, to worship you, to praise your name. Father, to thank you for the ways that you continue to move in our lives and the ways that you continue to just chase after us. Father, to draw us closer to you. Father, we just pray that today during this time that you will open our hearts and our minds to your word that we will hear what you have to say, that we will internalize it, we'll reflect upon it, and Father, that it will spur us into growing more like Christ. We're so grateful, Father, to be children of yours and live in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Since it's Mother's Day, I thought that I would start this morning by just sharing a tradition that we have in our family. And it looks like it's clearing up, Mike, so your day might not be so great as what you thought. When it was raining, Mike was like, yes, because in our family, we don't usually go out to dinner on Mother's Day because my philosophy is your family will go out to dinner anytime. If a mother says, let's go out to eat, the kids will get in the car faster than you turn around. But on Mother's Day instead, we clean out the garage. And we do this because it's the day we have willing volunteers that your family will do basically whatever task you want them to do because it's Mother's Day. Like, why would you pass that up? 
you know? When Joni Jones first moved here, and she and I had gotten together, and I went over and visited her, and I was telling her about this tradition, and you could see her eyes light up. And then, you know, on Mother's Day, all of a sudden, I'm getting texts from Joni that's showing the Salis and the Jones, and all their stuff is out in their driveway, and I'm like, yes, yes. So if you're a mother, I would just really challenge you to just think on that. It's your day, willing volunteers. To all the guys and the children in this room, I say, you're welcome. This morning, I brought two letters with me to church. These letters are both written by my mom. My mom was a writer, not by vocation, but she loved to write, and she had a few things published. And so she loved to put her thoughts down on paper versus sometimes even speaking them out. The first letter I found when I came home from high school one day, and it was sitting in the middle of the dining room table, and it has my name on it, and it says personal, and it was just up there. And this letter was one that my mom wrote as a response to some of the behavior she was seeing in my life. She had just um, given birth a couple years before to my little sister, who were 15 years apart. And my mom was hearing me make these like jealous comments, like, I bet when she's 16, she won't have to share a room, or I bet she'll have her own car to drive, and it won't be half red and half yellow. And seriously, it was half red and half yellow. It was terrible. And so my mother thought, you know, she would write me a letter, and she would leave this letter for me just as a way to respond to my behavior. But it was written in such a way that really helped me to change my behavior because she didn't criticize my actions. Instead, she reassured me of her love. The other letter I received when I was in my 20s, and it came in the mail one day shortly after this gentleman in our neighborhood died, someone that our kids had called Pop-Pop. And in there, my mother wrote just her remembrances of the night that she had gone to the hospital when she was pregnant with me. And it was a night that we both almost died because she was five foot nine, she was four to five months pregnant, and she weighed about 90 pounds. She was really terribly sick. And in here, she recalls just her memory of Jesus' presence being there in the room with her. And what a difference it would make to her life and the difference, she said, that it would make to my life later. And I love having these letters, even like over 40 years later. And I know like some of you are saying like, oh, I wonder how now how old she is. And you're doing the math. Don't. But these letters really help me on some days. You know, I still pull them out. I still read them when I just need to hear the words that are contained in them or hear the truth. This morning, we're going to be looking at another letter that was written out of love. And this one was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual children in Thessalonica. And Paul wrote it about the year 50 AD, and it was really the first of his letters that were written of those contained in the Bible. And Paul visited Thessalonica with Silas and Timothy, and they went after leaving Philippi, where if you were here in February and you remember when Ed was speaking, in Philippi they really met with a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship that was inflicted upon them. And their stay in Thessalonica then was about four to six months, although when you look at Acts, it says they were only in the synagogue for three Sabbaths, it said, which is three weeks. But they were only there because they met with such opposition there again from the Jews, and so they decided to take their ministry out of the synagogue. And they actually had ministry more like we do in small groups. And so they actually did life on life with the Thessalonians, and they did it in homes and in the marketplace. Eventually, however, the opposition grew too strong, and so Paul said it was time to leave because he didn't want to put those he was ministering to in jeopardy. 
But he was still so concerned about these people, so he sent Timothy back for a visit. And this letter is a response to Timothy's report. So today we're going to just unpack a few verses that Vanessa read to discover the what, why, and how Paul sowed. Like, what did he sow? What was it that he gave to others? Or why did Paul sow? What was his motivation? Or how did he sow? Like, what were the actions that he took? But before we start addressing the what, why, and how, I want to talk for a moment about the word sowing. Often when we think about sowing, we think about like scattering or, or planting seeds. And, and that's a definition. It, it can mean that. But in the Bible, one of the definitions of sowing is that is strengthening by extending, like strengthening you by extending something to myself. I'm sowing into your life, so I'm strengthening you by giving you something. So every time that you hear me say, sow unto others, think of like give to strengthen, giving of myself to strengthen you. So what is it that we sow into others? What do we give of ourselves to strengthen them? Let's take a look this morning at what Paul sowed. If we look at this chapter and we just start, you know, perusing through, we might say, wow, like Paul sowed love and he sowed encouragement and he sowed comfort. And we might say, wow, you know, like these are some of the things that he sowed. He sowed nourishment. But I think sometimes we confuse the, the what with the how. Instead, it says like Paul didn't sow the how, he sowed the what. And we're not sowing some aspect of Jesus. Sometimes that's what we think. We're sowing some aspect of Jesus. Because in the church, if I say, like, what is it that you want to share with others? We'll say Jesus' love. Or we'll say the compassion of Christ. Or we'll say God's grace and mercy. But we're not sowing an aspect. We're actually sowing Jesus. So we look at verse 8. And Paul says in here, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. The gospel of God. And the gospel means good news, and the good news is Jesus. One word, Jesus. One and only, Jesus. That's the good news. That's what he's saying. That's what we want to share. So Paul actually understood that when he was strengthening others by extending something of himself, what he was extending to others was Jesus. Because Paul understood that Jesus dwelled within him. And Paul understood this. He understood that when he was giving of himself to strengthen others, he was actually giving people Jesus. Because Paul understood something really important. He understood that Jesus dwelled within him. In fact, to the Galatians, in his letter to them, he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But in earlier translations, it's actually the faith of the Son of God instead of the faith in the Son of God. And in the book, The Good and Beautiful God, James Bryan Smith wrote this. He said, it's translated the other way, the faith in instead of the faith of, because we tend to emphasize our faith in Jesus, and we're not used to Jesus thinking about his faith for us. But if Jesus is dwelling in us, it would be, I live by the faith of Jesus. And then Smith goes on to say, I affirm with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ. 
I do not understand that mystery, but I know that Jesus is closer to me than I am to myself. Christ lives in me, and I live by his faith. I am not alone. This is something more than simply getting my narratives right. It is allowing Jesus to live in and through and for me. And as I was preparing for today, I thought, wow, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that Jesus dwells within us? And I thought, like, wow, do I believe this? Like, do I believe this? My dad always said belief is an action verb and that our beliefs are shown through our actions. And after I prayed over this through, for several days, I woke up one morning and I had the WWJD movement on my mind and I thought, I don't know that we do believe it. And the reason I say that is because WWJD stands for what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he were standing here? What would Jesus do if he were here with me in this moment? What would Jesus do if he were in this situation? And when we're really asking what would Jesus do, I don't know that we believe it because the question would be not what would Jesus do, but if we believe Jesus was dwelling in us, we would say, Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Since Paul understood this indwelling presence of Christ and this allowed him to sow Jesus into others' lives, I wanted to take a moment today and just kind of discuss this indwelling because I think it's really important for us to be able to understand it as well if we're going to sow Jesus into other people's lives as well. Several years ago, I heard Patsy Claremont, who was a woman of faith speaker, and she was on the radio. And she had told the story that when her best friend Carol got cancer, she said she started praying, God, what do you want me to pray for her? And God said, let there be light. And so Patsy again prayed, and she said, God, I'm not sure I heard you right. So what is it you want me to pray for her? And again, God said, let there be light. And then again, Patsy prayed, and she said, God, I just want to confirm, like, what you want me to pray? And God said, let there be light. And so Patsy thought, okay, so I'll start praying. And so she prayed all the time for Carol, let there be light, let there be light. And after Carol went to her next appointment, she came home, she said, Patsy, you'll never believe it. She said, the doctors, they, they looked at the, the x-ray, and what they said was that my cancer was going away because where there was once darkness, there's now light. And that's how it is in our lives when we accept Jesus as our Savior. When we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he says he did, then it's like the light comes on that helps us to see things clearer, and it begins to push back the darkness in our lives. And the light that's suddenly dwelling within us and giving clarity to so many more things in our lives is God's Spirit. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within us, and he'll be our advocate, he'll be our comforter, he'll be our teacher, he'll remind us of what Jesus said, he'll guide us in all truth. But he said there's one thing that he will not do. And he said he will not speak on his own, he'll only speak what he hears. And so we have to say, like, who, who is he listening to? Who's the Spirit listening to? And he's listening to the same one who said, I will be in you. Like, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And that was Jesus. Jesus dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. He's manifested. He's shown to us, understood by us through the Spirit. We hear his thoughts. We learn his ways. We understand his truths. And Paul understood this clearly. And that's what allowed him to sow in Jesus into other people's lives. Not some aspect of Jesus, but Jesus, because he understood that Jesus dwells within us. That's what drove him, was sharing 
this good news, sharing Jesus with others. And it's important for us like, to go to verse 8. And we look at verse 8, and we see where he says, like, we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God with you, but our lives as well. And I think that, you know, sometimes we can get this mixed up. Because notice, like, he didn't say we shared with you our lives and then Jesus as well. He said we shared with you Jesus and then our lives as well. Because when you get Jesus, then you'll get me. Jesus always came first and then Paul followed his lead. You get Jesus when we share our life with you. And he said because Jesus always comes first. Jesus always comes first, and then Paul follows his lead. And I think, like, sometimes this is something that we can forget, and I know often that I do, because we live in this townhouse condo across in Stone Ridge. We've been there 15 years. Um, we actually, we're in the first row of homes in Stone Ridge, where many of you who live there don't know, but there was a guard where the light was. And one night, I'll tell you this real quick, one night when our um, son was coming home after we moved in, the guard said, you can't go there, nobody's there. And he said, my family lives there. He says, nobody lives there. Go away. <laughs> and that, so, so we're grateful that we were able to get our son home that night just because they wanted to keep him out. But in our home, in our condos, there's this little strip of grass. And often in the mornings, for about a year, I would go out and I would see like some dog would mess in the yard. And the problem with that was that as we tried to clean it up, you know, like that's where we take our trash through that grass. And so I was starting to get a little bit frustrated. And one morning, I look out, and across the way, I see my neighbor crossing the street, and he's headed for my grass. And so I slip on my slippers, and I run out on the balcony, and I just go down, and I'm yelling, and I just call him Dan. I'm like, Dan, hey, hey, do you have to let your dog do that in my yard? Please don't let him do that, because it gets on our trash can. And so he's like, oh, okay. And then I came back inside, and it was like Jesus said, like, really? Like, did you really have to yell down to him where everyone else could hear? And I thought, oh, I wasn't sowing Jesus at that moment. I was really sowing Katie. So every opportunity after that, I made special effort just to go and talk with him, to let him know I harbored no ill will, that we still, you know, liked him. And, and as we did, I just let Jesus really start building that relationship. And we started to come together more as family. Even then when they, when they went away one time and they needed somebody, they called us because they felt they could call on us. It's great when we offer people financial help or we cut their grass or we visit them in the hospital. But all of that has to be done in the service of offering them Jesus. So mothers, happy Mother's Day. What do you offer to your children when you are making their lunches? Or what do you offer to your children when they're playing ball in the house and it kind of breaks a window? Or your neighbors, what do you offer to them when you're shoveling their, the snow off their walk? Or what do you offer to them when the grass is getting really tall in their yard and they haven't cut it for a couple months and it's a foot taller than yours? Or fathers, what do you offer to your children when you take them fishing and you're spending the day with them? Or what do you offer to them when you sit down and you do homework and they start to whine? What we offer to them is Jesus. Circumstances can change, but the answer always remains the same. We offer Jesus. We sow Jesus. But why did Paul sow Jesus? Like, why was it? And Paul says it a couple different ways in Thessalonians. 
At the beginning of that phrase, he says, because we loved you so much, because we love you so much. And then earlier in chapter one, he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. In the book, Christianity Beyond Belief, Todd Hunter always says, it's not like I want things from you, but I want things for you. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I want things for you for your sake. What did he really want for them? He wanted them to be the best that they could be, to have the best life that they could have. And I'm convinced, in, and he, as he was, that there's no way to have it apart from Jesus. There's no way for you or for me or for our children or for our sisters or brothers or mothers or fathers or neighbors or friends. There's no way to have the life that God intended for us apart from Jesus. And Paul understood this. But Paul already had Jesus, so when he was sowing, he wasn't sowing Jesus for himself. He was sowing Jesus for them. He was strengthening them by extending Jesus to them for them. And that's why he made the comment about working night and day and not to be a burden to anyone. He wasn't trying to lay on guilt, but he was trying to remind them of his motives. Because back in that time, there were religious hucksters, and there were charlatans, and they would travel to city after city, and they would stand on the corner, and they would preach, and the more they preached, the more the people gathered, and the more the people gathered, the more money they made. And so it really wasn't about the people. It wasn't even about the message. It was all about the money. And so Paul wanted to make sure for these Thessalonians, there's no confusion in their mind, that it wasn't that he wanted anything from them. It's what he wanted for them. He supported himself because he didn't want anything to be an obstacle of them being able to receive the gospel. So what are we sowing? We're sowing Jesus. Why are we sowing? The answer is always for their sake. It's nothing to do with us. And the last question we want to ask is, how do we sow Jesus into others? And we could probably come up with as many answers to this question as a day is long. And if I were Ed right now, I would be saying it's time to groupatize. But I'm not, so we're not, and I hope you're not disappointed. <laughs> we're going to go back instead, and we're going to look at verse 7 together. And we're going to see how Paul modeled sowing into others. And he starts with instead. It says, instead, we were like young children among you. And whenever we see the word instead, we have to ask, instead of what? And to answer this, we have to back up a little bit further. Because in verse 6, he says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So he's saying instead, instead of looking for praise from people, instead of asserting our authority, he says, we were like young children among you. And have you ever thought about young children? I mean, some of their attributes, they're present in the moment, they're accepting of others, they're trusting, they're humble, they're persistent, they're kind, they always want to help in their own way, and they have an insatiable appetite for joy. And when we put this phrase, like young children among you, in the context of that they didn't want praise, or they weren't exercising their authority, we have to understand what he's saying. We weren't self-asserting. And he's saying, like, we were like children in the fact that we were humble, and we were gentle-spirited, and we were kind. And that would make total sense because Christ dwells in them. And they knew that. And Christ is humble, 
and Christ is kind, and Christ is gentle-spirited. And he goes on to say, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And several months ago, when I began praying over what scripture the Lord wanted me to use, when he led me to this chapter and to this verse, I felt like that was his affirmation. And I knew then that there was something here he really wanted us to glean. And I just love this phrase, just as a nursing mother. I'm a 27-year breast cancer survivor. And so I had my cancer really young. And we also gratefully had our children even younger than that. So I was able to nurse them, and I, I kind of can understand some of the insight that Paul has given us here. Our daughter, on the other hand, who also had a double mastectomy in her early 30s and lives with infertility, will never be able to naturally nurse a child. However, the points I want to make today are applicable to all of us, whether we've nursed or not nursed, whether we're female or male, whether we have natural, adopted, or spiritual children, whether we don't have children, or whether we have people in our lives who are so special that they're like children. There's some things here for everyone. And Paul could have said, just as a mother cares for her children, but he didn't. He was really specific, and he said, just as a nursing mother. So there's three points I want to make today that we can take away in trying to understand how Paul sowed into other people's lives. The first one is a nursing mother cares for her child by taking time. Nursing is a very intimate and tender time. It's a time when the mother and child have bonding, but it's a time of nourishing and nurturing. But it's not a time to be rushed. The mother's totally at the mercy of the baby. It's a time of feeding and influence. And we see time and time again where Paul, when he went and he met with people, regardless of what they believed, that they often changed their whole life around. They turned around because of the time that Paul spent with them. Because Paul took the time to get to know them. And he nourished them with Jesus and he nurtured them in their growth. Paul learned about their lives and he leaned into their lives. And you know, one thing we know about life is that it gets messy. And sometimes messy is not fun. And sometimes it's easier to leave out when we see the mess than it is to lean in. But Paul leaned in because he cared about them. He cared about them as a nursing mother. So he took time with them to learn about them, to learn their stories. And it changed their lives. I want to just encourage you today that wherever God has placed you, to remember you are Christ's presence in that place. And I want to encourage you to take the time with the people who are in front of you this week. Second, a nursing mother cares for her child by listening for the need and listening to what the child's need is. She listens just to hear that cry because she doesn't force her needs upon the child. Instead, she listened for the baby to express his need, and then she serves that need. And Paul understood that to determine the need, we need to listen to others. And it's something that I think most of us in today's society struggle with. But that's why Paul was able to write such impactful letters, because he knew the people he ministered to that he spent time with because he listened to them. When we don't listen, we actually give others what we think they need versus what they actually need. And I know this because this is something 
that happened to me about six years ago or so. We had been in our neighborhood about 10 years, and the Lord was putting on my heart that it was, you know, he wanted me just to reach out to our neighbor. So I started thinking, I thought, I think that maybe we could start a women's Bible study in my home. And I had a friend who had this study called the Neighborhood Cafe, and I thought, wow, that's great. That's what we could do because that's what I thought my neighbors needed was a Bible study. And then one day, I was standing by my driveway, and my neighbor was coming back from the mailbox, and she said, Katie, she said, I feel like I don't know anyone in the neighborhood. She said, I've been here 10 years, and I don't. I don't know anyone. And I thought to myself, you know, I know her name, and I know her house, but I don't know her last name. I don't have her phone number in my cell. I don't know where she works. I've never been in her house, and I don't know if I'd recognize her car if it wasn't in her driveway. And I thought, she probably feels the same about me. I don't really even know her. And I realized in that moment that the need that she was expressing wasn't for a Bible study. The need was for community. Like, she really craved community. So we got together, and we decided to have a Christmas gathering for women in our neighborhood, which we do every year now. And then we started having dinners monthly for these women to come together. And what's so exciting is to see the relationships that were being built and the community that has formed. Because now when it's like Christmas or Thanksgiving, someone will send a text, and it's often not me, and it'll say like, Happy Thanksgiving to my friends. And all these people in our neighborhood, all these women, will sit there and respond to one another. So we actually know people. We've been in the homes. We know them. But I almost miss that because I really thought like this is what I perceive the need to be instead of what the need actually was. And so this morning, one of the things that I really want to encourage you for is to listen, because that's what Paul did. He listened, and he served their need, and that's how he built relationships. So pray for those that God has brought into your sphere of influence and listen for their needs. And then I encourage you to serve those needs as a way to build relationships in your own lives. And lastly, a nursing mother cares for her child by filling up. You know, I don't really understand all the exact physiology of the body and the ways that it works internally. But I just know this, that when it's time to feed your baby, the nursing mother fills up with milk so she can empty. I don't know how it happens, but it's just one of those things that happens. And so Paul is really encouraging us here today to fill up to empty, to fill up to empty. Mothers don't empty to fill up, but they fill up to empty. It's a cycle of life. We fill to empty. And it was Paul's way of life. He filled up to empty. He was able to do what he did, endure the hardships and struggles without giving up because Paul filled up. He spent time in the Lord's presence, and you get a glimpse of this through the things that he says about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit guided him, through the comments that he says about the Lord. And you hear about, you understand this because you can see from the impact that he makes in people's lives. You understand it from the ways that he said, I was crucified with Christ, that Paul fills up to empty. In the same way that a nursing mother fills up to stimulate the growth of her child, Paul filled up to also spur on growth of his spiritual children all over the Roman Empire. 
And you don't know where you're going to empty. It could be on the track field. It could be in your driveway. It could be at the dinner table. It could be with your family. It could be in your office. You don't have any clue where you're going to empty. There's story after story I'm sure we could all come up with. But the key isn't in the emptying. The key is in the filling up. And we fill up by reading our Bibles. And we fill up by praying. And we fill up by meditating over Scripture. And we fill up by worshiping. And we fill up by just sitting and listening. And we fill up by being with Jesus. When we fill up when we focus on him. We're filling up so that we can empty. And so I want to encourage you today to find the way that you can start filling up. And if you've already been filling up, then I want to encourage you to start emptying out so you can fill up again. Because you know we can't give away what we don't have. And if we are empty, we really have nothing of substance to give. When we sow into others' lives, when we give of ourselves to strengthen others, what do we sow? We sow Jesus. We sow Jesus. Why do we sow? It's always for the sake of others. And how do we sow? As a nursing mother, we take time, we listen for the need, and then we fill up to empty. And I have one more question for you this morning. The question is, does it really make a difference? Does it make a difference in your life and my life if we sow like Paul sowed? We, we saw Paul sowing. We saw it made a difference in the lives of the people he was with. But does it really make that transformative difference in our life when we sow Jesus into other people's lives? So I want to tell you the story this morning. I end with this. About a year ago, Mike and I were going to go out for a walk. Mike's my husband, if you haven't met him yet. And I looked out the front window, and there's a playground right in front of our house. And I said, oh, there's a woman there. I said, Mike, why don't you take my phone, and you go out the garage, and I'll go out the front door. And as I went out there, then I went up to the woman, and I introduced myself to her and told her I was Katie, and, and she told me you know, her name, and I asked her where she lived, and she said, oh, I live over there on the other side of the street. And I truly said it like this. I said, oh, the women in our neighborhood, we get together for dinner periodically. I don't always do it right. Do you get that feeling? So I said, we get together for dinner periodically. And then we talked a few more minutes, and then I walked away. And then as I walked away, I felt like the Lord was saying, so you mean because she lives on the other side of the street, you're not going to invite her to your dinner? So I marched myself back, and I said to her, would you like to come to dinner with us? and have dinner at our home with other women in the neighborhood? And she said, well, I don't know if I'm going to really be here long. And I said, are you moving? She started crying at that moment. And she said, well, my husband just left me, and he wants a divorce. And so I asked her, like, you know, could I hug her? And I asked her if I could pray with her. And then when we were done, I gave her my name and number, and I said, I'm really not some kook off the street, you know, I, I said, I really work with women. This is, you know, one of the things. So here's my number. And so she took it in her phone. And as I walked away, because my phone was over there, and I thought, like, I don't want to go get it and come back. But the Lord said, you know what? She's never going to call you. She's not going to call you and reach out to you. So I got my phone, and I marched myself back again. And I said, hey, can I get your number so I'll have it too? 
And then I talked to Ed the next day, and a couple days later, I texted her, and I said, you know, if you would like to talk to somebody, you know, my pastor would be willing to talk with you if you need someone to talk. And our church is walking distance. You can just cross the street. It's right there. And she texted me back, and she said, Katie, I, I probably should have told you, she said, but I'll never go to your church because I'm an atheist. And I saw that, and I said, I wrote back, and I said, that's okay. People in my own family, some of them don't believe the way I do. And I said, but you're still my neighbor, and you can still be my friend. And she wrote back, and she said, thank you. And then as I drove out of the neighborhood each day, I looked for her, and if I saw her on the other side of the street walking with her kids, I'd pull my car over, I'd roll my window down and say hi to her and ask her how she's doing just to let her know. And I'd invite her to dinners, and sometimes I'd invite her and her children just to come over and eat with Mike and I. And she never took us up on any of it. But a couple weeks ago when I was preparing for today, I got this text, and this is what it said. It said, hi, Katie, I don't know if you'll remember me, but we met at the Amber Spring Playground in Stone Ridge about a year ago. My husband had just left me, and I was there with my children, and you hugged me and prayed for me. I wanted to let you know that although I wasn't ready to reach out to God yet at that time, when I look back, I can see that he was really reaching for me through you and a multitude of other things that happened. And I believe meeting you is no accident. I live out of the area now, but I wanted to thank you again for your kindness at that time. Someone was looking out for me. I'm on a better path now and attending a church. Although sadly, my husband's still pursuing his divorce. Anyway, I was thinking about you today and wanted to let you know that your love and your prayers helped. And she said that I could share that with you today because she understands now who Jesus is. So does it make a difference when we sow Jesus into someone else's life? Yeah, it really does. It really does. And it can change lives dramatically in the same way that Paul saw. And the fact is, is that it doesn't only just change lives. Sometimes it changes the lives that are right outside our front door. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much. Father, for the ways that you just reach out to us, the ways that you chase down after us, Father, because you know you have such a better life plan for us than often the ones we're born into. Father, we're so grateful, Father, for your love and, and for Jesus and making it possible that we can have that kind of life, that we can have your presence in us every day, spurring us on in growth and transformation to live in your ways. Father, we're so grateful for the ways that you continue to watch over us, for the ways that you guide us, for the ways that you speak into our lives. And most of all, Father, we're so grateful for the ways that you love us. Use us to the glory of your kingdom. Use us to reach out to others. Use us. Fill us up and let us empty into others' lives that they may come to know Jesus too. And it's in Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Katie. We're going to do a song and some announcements before we go. Um, but I could tell how disappointed you guys were that we weren't groupletizing, so we're going to groupletize for worship instead. We're going to group up and sing solos to one another. I think some of you just had a heart attack.
every song could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh Jesus Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say Worthy every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show Thank you so much for coming. It's great to have you, and happy Mother's Day, moms. I don't like that idea, by the way, just my opinion. I don't like Katie's idea at all. I would much prefer to just go out to lunch. That's what we're planning. My wife just had her knee replaced, so she, this is her second week in a row. She couldn't be here. She'll be here next week. I'm really glad she was not here to hear Katie's story. So go in peace.